0: You know the story. Here, here's Dorothy, and, and she gets herself stuck in this place. And, and basically, what the whole movie is about is this, this young lady who's wanting to get where she knows she needs to be. And that place, of course, is... No, that's where she's stuck, where she want to go. Man, y- Y'all don't know this movie, do you? Hey, you guys got it up there? Let's just do that this morning. Um, just just kidding, just kidding. She She's stuck in Oz. Uh, she wants to go to, man, I, Kansas, okay? Now, if you've never been to Kansas, you know that if, if dogs could talk, <laughs> that when she pulls her up and she says, I, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore, if that dog could talk, it would say, good. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there is there's nothing in Kansas, man. There, there used to be. And I married her, and that's the last good thing that I know that was that was in Kansas. And I just saved my neck, didn't I? And her parents, who are with us this morning. So, yeah, anybody else from Kansas? Good. <laughs> but in that same kind of way, y'all. We're stuck. We're stuck in a place. Most of us don't fully understand what that's all about. But we're stuck in a place that the Bible refers to in Revelation chapter 3, a place called Laodicea. Now, take your Bible and and turn to Revelation chapter 3. What we've been doing for the last several months around here is we've been working our way through the book of Revelation we are on a major roll right now after all of these months. We have made it to chapter 3. But let me just explain briefly to some of you folks who may be coming in for the first time today. Now what What is taking place in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 is our Lord is writing seven letters to seven churches that existed in a part of the world that we would know as uh, Turkey today. It was Asia, Asia Minor, actually in 95 A.D. when John actually received the revelation. These were real churches that really existed. And the things that our Lord talks about in these letters, He's addressing real situations, real circumstances that were taking place in those churches. He's, he's trying to write to them. He's trying to help them and to address those needs. But in the bigger picture of the book of Revelation, what you find is those seven letters represent seven periods of church history that basically picks up where the book of Acts leaves off. And it brings you through, beginning with the church at Ephesus, it brings you through seven periods of church history. They are very easily identifiable for those of us that are living in these last days. And the point I want you to understand here this morning, because we don't have time to go back and develop all of the periods that we've looked through thus far, but we are living in the last of those seven seven periods. We are living in the Laodicean church period. Now, the period just prior to this one is what is referred to in Scripture as the Philadelphian church period. And folks, I, I wish I could just plant into every person in this room this morning the things that we covered last week. Because what we did last week in here is... We looked at that period of history. We looked at what was going on in this world and and the things that are identifiable there in this letter to that, that period of time in history. It was the greatest time in history for the church of Jesus Christ. The thousand years previous was the Dark Ages. It was when the mother of harlots, as she's identified in Revelation chapter 17, She dominated the world. And if you had a Bible, and if you believed the Bible, you were the the enemy of Rome. And we've, we've worked ourselves through the incredible, incredible persecutions that the church of Jesus Christ went through. And what our brothers and sisters, that we can go back to, and we can look at the things that they believe from this book, we can actually even look at the book that they believe, and those are the ones that handed this to us. And we have quite a heritage. And, and, and really, to fully comprehend the glory of the Philadelphian church period, you've got to see it against the backdrop of the darkness and all of the evil and all of the bloodshed that took place back in the, the Thyatira and the Sardis church periods. And we've covered all of that. But last week, we hit Philadelphia. And man, it's, it's the church of the open door. And it was when this nation and the nation of England was sending out missionaries all over the world. And there was an, we sang this morning, the Lord of the harvest. And oh, folks, I'm telling you, there's never been a time of harvest like it was in the Philadelphian church period. But when you come to Laodicea, and you see, if we're, what we're going to do this morning, we're going, to, we're going to work our way through that letter to the church in Philadelphia. But to understand that letter, we've got to understand some things, first of all, about the period of time that we're living in and what Jesus says is true of the church of Jesus Christ in these last days. We can't let slip from our minds as we go back and look at the Philadelphia church period we can't let, let slip from our minds the fact that we are Laodiceans. And look in Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 lets us know that we're not what God wants us to be. He tells us that we're neither cold nor hot and that he would that we were cold or hot. You know what he's saying? I wish you'd just go one way or the other, but you guys are middle of the rotors. You straddle the fence, and I want you on one side or the other. Verse 16 lets us know that our middle of the roadness, what he calls here lukewarmness, what he lets us know here is that it literally makes the Lord Jesus Christ sick. He he says, I will spew thee out of my mouth. I think we get the picture. Verse 17 lets us know that we think that we're better than we are. In a spiritual sense, our lives say to him that we think we're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. When Jesus looks, and as it talks about in Revelation chapter 1, as John saw the vision of the, the risen and glorified Christ, it says that he has eyes as flames of fire, and as our Lord this morning with his eyes as flames of fire looks down into the Laodicean church period, folks, what he sees in verse 17 is that we are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And and whereas the Philadelphian age, it was the church of the open door, verse 20, Laodicea is the church of the closed door, which is, I mean, it's a terrible thing in, in itself, but what makes it even worse is which side of the door Jesus was on when it closed. Verse 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's on the outside of the church when Laodiceans are lavishly celebrating his presence on the inside. And there's a whole lot of hype. And there's a whole lot of noise. And there's a whole lot of activity. But there's no power. That's Laodicea and i guess if you if you want to get the most basic difference between these two church periods you don't need to really look further than the very names of the churches than themselves what we've seen as we've worked our way through each of these letters is that the name of the church the meaning of the name is the one world one word capsulization of that period of history As the Lord Jesus Christ looks into that period of time, the name Philadelphia, and most of you know this, the name Philadelphia means brotherly love. The name Laodicea means the rights of the people. In other words, the Philadelphian age was characterized by love for others. The Laodicean period is characterized by love for self. You see, that's why there's so little happening today as far as world evangelization is concerned compared to the Philadelphian church age. Because you see, when when you're in love with yourself and, and when you're concerned about your rights, then why would you ever worry about the stinking heathen? Why would, why would we concern ourselves with the two billion people that are on this planet this morning that have never even heard the two words, Jesus Christ? Two billion of them this morning. Three billion people on this planet have never one time had anybody ever take even a, a track. Forget the Bible. Most of them don't even know what a Bible is. I mean, they've never even heard the word, Jesus Christ. Much less what he came to this planet to do. You see, lay out of sea, and well, you know, I've got my job, and uh, you know, the, the new house, and next year's vacation to worry with. You know, I don't have time to worry with the heathen. But oh, buddy, our brothers and sisters back in the Philadelphian Church period did. And you know what? Most of us, I, I think, if we if we really knew the score. I just bet you most of us are sitting here this morning because of what they did on our behalf. And most of us don't give a flip. Our our, our Philadelphian brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. God opened the door to the world for them, and he placed his right hand of power And like at no other period of time in the history of the church, this world was coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ in an unbelievable way. And the question this morning is, how is it that those of us who are living in the last days of the Laodicean age, how is it that we can experience in our lives and in this local church the the opportunities for evangelism and the brotherly love and the blessing and the power that god unleashed upon our brothers and sisters back in that previous period how, how is it that we can experience in these laodicean days that we're living in a a new philadelphian existence if you will and that's the the title this morning how to reside in new Philadelphia when you live in Laodicea. And what I want to do this morning is is I want us to begin to walk through this letter. And I want us to begin to see what it actually was that this church had. You see, we've got the letter, man. Do you understand this? Jesus is writing this church a, a letter and we're able to go this morning and we can identify what it was that caused the Lord Jesus Christ to unleash His power on that church. So We can look at it this morning and and really what what we're coming down to today is we're all coming down to a decision in our life. I don't know if you feel the urgency like I do, but we're all coming down to a decision and it is, are we going to be Laodiceans and be content to just stay there and be raptured out of here as a Laodicean? Or are we going to do what the Lord shows us here needs to be done in our lives to bring us to the point where we are Philadelphian believers in this Laodicean age? And and you see, I I think, I I, I mentioned this, I think it was, I, I don't know, maybe it was last week this this has been wow fast week wasn't that just yesterday when we met here but but what this is doing this is it's putting us at a crossroads folks do you you understand that what's getting ready to happen here in the next few minutes is we're all getting ready to become just a little more accountable you know we've talked about this philadelphian church period and And a lot of you have actually even been praying for the last several years that that we would experience this Philadelphia in Laodicea. But we've never actually just gone to the letter to see what was it about that church that caused the power of God to be unleashed. And today, we're going to begin to see that. Do Do you want out of Laodicea? I mean, really, do you want? you are you sick like I am of the powerlessness of Laodicea all the all the work for just a little bit of effort you see it wasn't that way in the Philadelphian church now listen it's never been easy in the Lord's work but that church possessed something that Laodicea knows nothing about now I feel like it, we've, got a, we've got a few minutes, and, and guys, I feel like what we need to do is we need to pray. And, and I want to just ask you this morning, will you pray that God will help you today to be honest about who you are as a lay out of stand? I, I, I know that it's not the most enjoyable thing for a guy to stand up here and, and get in your face about... You think you're further down the road than you really are. And you make Jesus sick, and you know. Do you understand? I'm a lay out of sin, and I know that. Okay, we're all in this boat, but man, I want to get out in the worst way. And, and I, I really do believe there's a lot of you that do. And so, could we do this before we go on any further, yeah. recognizing that we are at a crossroads as individuals and as a church. Can we just spend a minute just asking the Lord to help us to listen and to see what it is that He wants us to see this morning. Let's bow our heads. I just want to, first of all, thank you. We are holding this book in our hands this morning. We realize the price our brothers and sisters paid to give us this book. And the most incredible thing in the world at this moment is the fact that we can go and we can look at the the letter where you detailed for us this church that experienced your power and your blessing like no other no other church like no other period and lord we know who we are we know what time it is we confess to you this morning our need we want you to help us open our eyes We recognize that as Laodiceans, we are blind. And so, Lord, this morning, would you anoint our eyes with eye salve. We present ourselves to you and ask you, Lord, anoint our eyes that we may see. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in this letter that begins in in verse 7, continues down through verse 13, there, there is just there is a lot of stuff i mean there's no end to the depth and yet what i want to do is i want to try, i want to try to keep this as simple and basic as we can possibly keep it and show you five factors that make new philadelphians out of individuals and churches in laodicea and here's the first one and we're not going to get past the first point today i was dreaming when i made up this study sheet So y'all can relax now, okay? If we're going to get from a Laodicean life to a a Philadelphian life, it's going to be because of the Christ we know. The Christ we know. You see, folks, the, the Jesus, most Laodiceans know is a different Jesus than the Jesus that presents Himself to the church in, in, in Philadelphia in verse 7. Laodiceans, to be quite honest about it, know a, a passive, humanitarian, sin-accommodating Jesus who belly up to just about anything, accommodate just about anything, go with the flow of just about anything. That's the view of Jesus in the Laodicean church period. But I want you to know something. The Philadelphian church age was what it was Because it was a church that viewed the Lord Jesus Christ and knew the Lord Jesus Christ in the fullness of his glory. They saw him just like John saw him in chapter 1. And I think this point is is so important. Now now listen to this. In each of these, these seven letters, the Lord presents himself at the beginning of each letter not by his name. He doesn't say, Now, the Lord Jesus Christ to the church at Ephesus, what he does is with each one of these letters, he introduces himself to that church by expressing some aspect of his character. But it's not just some aspect of of his character. It is specifically some aspect of his character that John revealed to us as he was caught up into the throne room of heaven to behold the risen and glorified Lord Jesus Christ back in chapter 1. And what we've done as we've been working our way through these letters is we would talk about the character of Christ. you remember how we've done this? And what I do is I take you back to chapter 1 and show you that aspect of Christ's character when John saw the Lord Jesus Christ. But now as we come to his introduction of himself and the character that he presents here in verse 7, I can't take you back to chapter 1 and show you the things that are listed here. Look at what he says in verse 7. These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth, and no man open it. And you see, with all three of the things that he listed there, you can't go back to chapter one and pull out those things specifically. Now, now listen. When God establishes a pattern, and in each one of these letters, you can do that. You can go back to chapter one and you can see wh- where wh- where the Lord was revealing Himself to John like this, and He's just pulling those aspects. With each of the letters, all seven, with the exclusion of this one. And if you're a student of the Bible, you know that when God establishes a pattern and then He breaks it, it's not because He was, you know, just turning His back for a second. It's not, whoops, <coughs> missed that. When you see God establish a pattern and then you see God break the pattern, what it's time to do is. Put the brakes on. Get your antennas up. Start. Get your ears open. Get your eyes open. And, and see what's the, the deal. And as you begin to look at this thing, what you begin to find is that the three dimensions of his character that our Lord identifies in verse 7 as he presents himself to the church in Philadelphia, those things are in chapter 1. But they're there, not specifically. You can't go back and say, find the word holy in chapter 1. You can't find the word true. You can't find the key of David. But you know what What the Lord is doing? his What those things are is they are the composite of all that John saw as he saw the Lord Jesus Christ revealed in all of his glory, as he saw the Lord Jesus Christ for who he really was, that's what he's talking about. He saw the Holy Lord God Almighty. And you remember what his response was? Go back to chapter 1 and look at verse 17. John says, And when I saw him, verse 17 of chapter 1, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. I mean, now, now get this in your mind. I mean, he, he, here is John, the beloved apostle john the one who wrote in the book of first john chapter 1 and verse 1 that as an apostle he said he had heard the lord jesus christ he said that he had had seen him with his eyes and he had looked upon him and he says that he even touched him in john chapter 13 and verse 25 you'll remember while they were eating the last supper and we, we we talk a lot about this we even sing about it John, the beloved Apostle John, he lays his head on the breast of the Lord Jesus Christ while they're eating that meal. It lets you begin to see the intimacy of the relationship that this guy John had with the Lord Jesus Christ. But about 95 A.D., John is caught up. He's caught up to the throne room of God the Lord Jesus Christ, and He sees Him there. And He sees Him in all of His glory. The glory of the risen Christ. And when He looked and beheld, He says, when I saw it, the only thing that I could do, I didn't want to go lay my head on His breast anymore. The only thing I could do was fall at His feet as dead. I mean... He couldn't move a muscle. He couldn't say a word. He couldn't be comfortable in any other position than on His face at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, His life is just absolutely obliterated See, that's the way the Philadelphian church period that's the way our brothers and sisters that's the way they saw the Lord that's the Jesus they knew and they fell at his feet as dead too listen their life was obliterated their will was obliterated their rights were obliterated. Because of their view of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of the the Christ that the church in that period of time came to know, self died. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15 says that Christ, listen to it, Christ died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto Him which died for them and rose again. And you see, the point is, when you see Him, when you see Him and all of His fullness and His glory, when you see Him for who He really is, there is a death that takes place. A a surrender. You see, and, and folks, that's what is so wild about Laodicea. Because you see, we we come, and not just in this church, but you see it on on television. If you go somewhere else and you visit another place, we do it here too, though, because we're lay out of But but we, we can come to worship services and and we can have experiences with the Lord where all oh, the glory of the Lord was just so real to us and oh man as pastor frank was leading us in worship and as he was applying the word of god and and we were singing and the musicians were doing all of this stuff and and I, i've i've heard it here and i'm not i'm not dogging anybody i'm just telling you this is the kind of stuff that goes on in lay out people will be out in the foyer or they'll 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 call after they've been in one of our services on a sunday morning or a sunday night and they'll say wow it was just so cool I just had the neatest feeling. Man, I just felt like I was in the presence of the Lord. And here we are as lay out of with warm fuzzies. John is laying on his face as dead. We close our eyes and we lift our hands. We're just... We're just so comfortable in His presence. So comfortable that we can go out and continue to sin the same sins, thinking the same lustful thoughts, holding the same roots of bitterness, continuing the same sinful habits. Loving the same present evil world. Loving the same self we did before we even came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. I'm afraid that the Christ Laodiceans claim to know isn't a whole lot like the Jesus that John saw in Revelation chapter 1. Amen? Amen? It's not the same Jesus that the Philadelphians knew. Folks, listen, if you, if you think that you're, you're experiencing some you know, true worship in the presence of Jesus Christ and it's all just really neat, but it doesn't bring you into a place of brokenness and contr- contrition over your sinfulness been I'm not trying to dog you. I just want to inform you. You haven't worshipped, and you haven't been in the presence of Jesus. You you have experienced a a self-induced euphoric emotional exercise. And don't go to your layout of seeing psychologists and ask him for a definition of that because I just made up that term. Okay. We've just had some kind of emotional deal where we've concocted some visions in in our mind that people in heathen religions do. You say, well, how do you know that? I'm just telling you, when you come into the presence of the risen, glorified Christ and you see Him in fullness of glory and all that He is, when you get up off of your face, you come up changed. You know, when I... When I came to this church 14 years ago, you know, I I thought my biggest job was to comfort the distressed. You know, I thought that's what pastors do. You know what I found out since I've learned all this stuff about Laodicea? My biggest job is to distress the comfortable. And it's tough sometimes, isn't it? Because we don't like to get uncomfortable as Laodiceans. Folks, if we're ever going to break out of Laodicea and and into a a new Philadelphian kind of existence, letter A on your outline, we must have an overwhelming comprehension of His holiness. We must have an overwhelming comprehension of His holiness. That's the Christ that we've got to come to know. Jesus says in verse 7, These things saith He... That is holy. And if we think that we have comprehended His holiness, but we haven't been overwhelmed, then we haven't even begun to comprehend it. You, you understand that? Turn back to Second Corinthians chapter six for a, a minute. Second Corinthians chapter six. Oh, I love this this passage. We'll we'll pick up in verse 14. Paul writes to the inspiration of the, the Spirit, "...be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness?" And what concord hath Christ with Belial or, or Satan? What part, he, uh, or, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols and with all of these? I mean, it, it, he's just pushing it to the absolute limit to where you've just got to go, none, no, no, not, not, nothing at all, no way. There's no connection whatsoever. And he says, for ye are the temple of the living God what an awesome thought that God has made us his dwelling place we are the temple of the living God and check out this as God hath said I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people can you imagine that y'all because you know what we used to be and now God lives in me? He walks in me? I mean, I'm one of His people? He's my God? Wow! Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and all. It gets better. Listen to this. I mean, He's not just going to be a God to us, y'all. And will be a Father unto you. And ye shall be not just, not just people. You're going to be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. I mean, that, that to me is just absolutely unbelievable. The presence of God in us as his temple but don't stop your daily devotions with that verse at least get one more under your belt chapter 7 verse 1 having therefore these promises dearly beloved what, what promises that he will dwell in us that he will walk in us that he will be our God that we will be His people, that He will be our Father, that we will be His sons and daughters. Having, therefore, these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Not with warm fuzzies, in absolute fear. Well, Pastor Mark, now this word here, it, really, this is a poor translation. This This word here would better be translated reverence. Perfecting holiness in the reverence of the Lord. Okay, that's cool. But why don't you be the one to go get down on your hands and knees and lean over as John is on his face in absolute fear to move a muscle. you go ahead and tell him that it ought to be reverent you can get up john no need to get yourself down there like that and listen why you're down there why don't you just lean a little bit over to the right and tell ezekiel that go to ezekiel chapter one ezekiel was another man who had the incredible privilege as john did of coming into the very throne room of the lord jesus christ and in chapter one of the book of ezekiel he is writing about it he begins in verse 26 and he's he's writing about what he saw and he says above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne as the appearance of a sapphire stone and upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above upon it. And I saw as the color of amber as the appearance of fire round about within it from the appearance of his loins even upward and from the appearance of his loins even downward. I saw as it were the appearance of fire and it had brightness round about. As the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This, listen, this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face. Listen, when you really see the Lord Jesus Christ for who He is, the most comfortable position you can find is not in a rocking chair. It's not standing up at His head. It is laying prostrate in fear at his feet. And it has such an impact on your life that you get up changed. You see, it has to. Because First Peter chapter 1 and verse 15 says, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all all manner of conversation or all manner of life in every area of your life. And you see, if you've got a tainted or a shallow comprehension of His holiness, it's going to manifest itself in a tainted and shallow living out of your life. That's the lay out of seeing we don't see Him for who He really is and because we are not absolutely overwhelmed in fear before him. We can strut out of services where we've had a little goosebump for Jesus and sin the same kind of sins over and over and over again because we've got a tainted view of His holiness. And folks, if we're ever, ever, ever going to get out of lay out of sea of the Christ, we know must be a Christ that has absolutely overwhelmed us with His holiness. That's why Paul was saying back there in Second Corinthians, chapter seven and verse one: "Perfect holiness in the fear of God." The, the, the problem that some of us have living out the Christian this the Christian life thing is that we've never we've never really seen Christ for who He is in all of His majesty and all of His holiness to the point that we literally get scared to death. I'm asking you, whether it was in a church service, whether it was late in the middle of the night as you were reading the Word of God, has there ever been a time where you just were in such awe of His holiness that you shook have you ever checked it out back there? We don't have time to go to this, but in Ezra chapter 9, what he's trying to do is assemble all of the people that trembled at the words of the Lord. You know any Laodiceans that just... just... gripped by the incredible holiness god we can't live out this christian life thing because we have no fear of god and we're the ones who claim to be those sons and daughters with god the living god walking in us and you see because there's no fear there's no perfecting of holiness perfecting holiness in the fear of god if you're going to perfect your holiness you've got to be so overwhelmed by the holiness of god that you find yourself on your face in fear before him you see according to what the lord is telling us there in second corinthians chapter seven this thing of perfecting holiness do you understand that every day in in our Christian life, we ought to become more and more holy because we're perfecting holiness. Do do you see that? But you know what? In Laodicea, it's the exact opposite of that. A a person comes to Christ, and and man, they they separate themselves from the world, and, and they don't want any part of it. And man, they set their affection on things above. That's what they're, they're living for. Not the things of this world. And you see, rather than that being a beginning place for them to begin to perfect holiness in their life, what happens to us is they, they get around us. Those that have been saved for 5 and 10 and 15 and 20 years, and it takes them about six months to backslide to our level. When the call of God, in light of the promises that He's given to us, is that we are to perfect holiness. And we wonder, we wonder where the presence of Christ is in Laodicea. And we wonder why it is that He is on the outside of that door. God laid down a, a principle in Deuteronomy 23 and verse 14. Just, just listen to it. L- listen. The Lord thy God walketh in the midst of thy camp. And you see, in the nation of Israel, it was the literal camp. Okay? It, it, was, it was a literal campsite that he used to, to walk in there. We're the campsite. We're the temple now. The Lord thy God walketh in the midst of thy camp. Therefore shall thy camp be holy, that he see no unclean thing in thee and turn away from thee. In Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, the prophet Habakkuk affirmed the same basic truth. He wrote, O Lord my God, mine Holy One, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil And canst not look on iniquity. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14 says, Follow holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. And I want you to know that if the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be in this place, folks, it's not going to be because we built a big, beautiful building and we put the name church out on the marquee out there and, and we've labeled this room the worship center. It's not going to be because we come into this room and we sing the right kinds of songs. It's not going to be for any of those things. If we will have the presence of God with a Philadelphian power in this place, it will be because we are a holy people. Not just in our position. I'm talking about in our practice. In Exodus chapter 33, God told Moses to to, to lead the people on to the the promised land. And, And he told Moses that an angel... Was going to lead the way. Now that's cool. An angel is going to lead the way. And he assured Moses that the nation would be sustained by divine provision and divine protection and divine promises. But in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 3, God told Moses that he wouldn't be going with them. Listen. Here's why. Exodus 33, 3. Lest I consume thee in the way. You know, probably the the most gracious thing in all of the world is that the Lord Jesus Christ in most churches in the Laodicea in church period is outside the door. Because if he came in, he would consume them. And in verse 15 of that same chapter, Exodus 33, Moses said, hey, listen, God, provision and protection and promises, those are great, but God, listen, if thy presence go not with me, carry us up not hence. He says, God, if your presence isn't with us, what's the use in going? Why would we do that? And Moses went on to explain to God that that His presence was the only thing that set His people apart from anybody else in the world. And now do you understand why most churches in Laodicea are so effective in reaching people for Christ? It's because the world can't distinguish the church from itself. Because God's presence Isn't with them. Do you understand that? People ought ought to come into this church, if we're a Philadelphian church, and begin to already sense the power of God that's at work because His presence is here amongst His people. God God told Moses that His presence couldn't go with the people. And the reason was very simple. It was because God is holy. And His presence does not dwell in the midst of an unholy people. And until you and I are holy, we'll never experience Philadelphia Christianity in our life. Uh, Until this church is a holy church, it'll never experience Philadelphian power. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 27, it says that the Lord Jesus Christ is looking for a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Folks, do you you feel like you understand that God's plan for our life, now that we know Him, God's plan for our life is that we be holy? Listen, Jesus Christ did not allow Himself to be beaten and and scourged and and hang on on a cross and and shed His blood and die that brutal death so that we could have a, a... convenient little escape from hell so that we could go out from there and just live life any way that we want to listen he did all of that so that he could redeem us so that he could put his spirit within us so that we could be holy Now, let me ask you are you holy Now, I know positionally in Christ you're holy this morning. I'm not talking about your position. I'm talking about the life that you actually live from Monday through Saturday every week. I know we all put on the, the holy look on, on, on Sunday. The, the Pharisees w- would pray like this. God, I thank thee that I'm not like other people. A tax collector o- over there, for example. And you know what? When it comes to the matter of holiness, you know what? We're a whole lot like the Pharisees, aren't we? What we do, what the Pharisee did, is he found someone to be the standard who was lower than he was. And isn't that what we're prone to do? You see, we want to test our character. We, we want to test our morality. We want to test our ethics we want to test our holiness and what we do is we just compare ourselves with somebody who's worse than we are and we're okay but the only problem is the world isn't the standard for holiness and your neighbors and your co-workers and your mom and your dad and your boss your spouse they are not the standard for holiness the people in this church are not the standard of holiness. Folks, God, when He set the standard for holiness, He didn't say that you had to be better than a, a tax collector or better than an immoral man. He said, I want you to be holy as I am holy. You see, that is the standard. Whether you live in Laodicea, Ephesus, Sardis, Pergamus, Thyatira philadelphia it doesn't matter that standard doesn't change he's the standard so when you ask yourself whether you're holy this morning make sure that you're judging yourself by the right standard don't measure yourself against someone else turn to the book of ezekiel are you still in ezekiel me too good shot y'all we just saw here, here in Ezekiel, in chapter 1, he's caught up to see the glory of the Lord. And he's absolutely overwhelmed by what he sees. And you see, you, you really, to understand what's going on in chapters 8 and 9, man, you got to understand what he's already seen as far as the glory of the Lord. You've got to understand that experience, or you'll never understand what you're going to see here. But you see, well, what, what's happened now in the, in the book of Ezekiel? Ezekiel gets caught up and he sees the, the glory of the Lord. And then, a little while later, the Lord is going to take Ezekiel on a little journey to show him where his presence was on the earth. He's going to bring him in and he's going to say some things to him. And I want you to see what, what he says in light of all that we've been seeing this morning. Look at verse 6. He said furthermore unto me, Son of man, seest thou, in chapter 8, I'm sorry, chapter 8, verse 6, he said furthermore unto me, Son of man, seest thou what they do, even the great abominations that the house of Israel committeth here? Listen, that I should go far off from my sanctuary? Are you seeing, Ezekiel, why my presence can't stay in this godless place? Look at what he says. But turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations. You know how we would say that today? Hey, Ezekiel, do you think that's something? You ain't seen nothing yet. Let me show you this. Look at verse 8. At the end of it, he, he talks about digging in the wall. And he sees a door. In verse 9, and he said unto me, Go in, and behold the wicked abominations that they do here. So I went in and saw. Look at verse 13. He said also unto me, Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations that they do. Oh, you think that's something, Ezekiel. Huh, you ain't seen nothing yet. What do you see this? Look at verse 15. Then said he unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations than these. And I mean, he just keeps showing him more and more and more wretchedness of the people who are supposed to be the people of God. So it finally comes down in chapter 9 where judgment is going to come. And he says in verse 1, He cried also in mine ears with a loud voice, saying, Caused them to have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen, with a writer's inkhorn by his side. And they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. And the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub whereupon he was to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men, that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof now let, let's just stop here make sure you understand what's going on here's Ezekiel he sees the glory of the Lord and here's Ezekiel and he sees the dwelling place of God on the earth in the sanctuary And God allows him to see he's got that hole in the wall and he's just seeing all of the absolute filth of the lives of the people. And God says, you see why I can't stay here? And I want you to know it's judgment time. We're going to deal with this thing. And so Ezekiel, what I want you to do is I want you to pull the whole city together. And what I want you to do is I want you to get all of the men with a, with, with their destroying weapons in their hair, in their hands because we've got a little mission that we need to take care of. But before we go out on the mission, what, what I want you to do is I want you to take one man. I want this guy to be, be dressed in white, and I want him to have a writer's inkhorn. It's a, it's, a, it's a pen. And what I want him to do before we go into this time of judgment, what I want him to do is I want him to go throughout all of the city, throughout all of Jerusalem, and I want him to put a mark on the forehead. Did you catch who? A mark on the foreheads of them that sigh and cry for the abominations that are done here. Now, I want you to check this out. Anybody who didn't have the mark, let's just read it. Verse 4. Uh, verse 5. And, and to the others, he said in my hearing, Go ye after. Go ye after him. That, that's that's the guy with the writer's inkhorn Through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare. Neither have ye pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women. But come not near any man upon whom is the mark. Go throughout this entire city and absolutely annihilate anybody that does not have the mark. And I want to remind you, the people who had the mark were not just people who lived holy lives. It wasn't just the people who were not involved in the abomination. It was the people who so understood the holiness of God that when they looked and they saw the sin that was all around them, it caused them to sigh and to cry. Because they understood the absolute holiness of God. Let me ask you. How many Laodiceans do you know that if he sent the guy with the writer's inkhorn by his side and he went through this church, if he would have done it at five minutes to nine this morning and just gone through and now is the time. They're coming in the back doors, y'all. They're going to slay every single person, young, old, kids, grandparents, Anybody that doesn't have the mark, anybody here think you're going to walk out of here and eat lunch today? You see what I'm saying about Laodicea? Our view of Christ is so low that we accomplish wonder why it is that we don't see the presence of God manifest in power. Why it is that we don't see that incredible harvest of souls that we we talked about last week. Have you ever seen the connection in the Bible between missions? holiness of God we're not even going to get as far as I thought we were going to get this morning I thought we were going to get to the first all three of these we ain't getting past any of it we're almost done okay I don't want to lose you now, now listen I want to show you the connection everything that we've been talking about this morning when it comes to holiness I want to show you the connection between this and missions we can go back to the philadelphian church period guys it's no surprise why the power of god was manifest the power of god was manifest because the presence of god was manifest the presence of god was manifest because they were holy see it's no big deep dark secret wow how'd you come up with that and you see holiness is very much connected to missions and i want you to see this go back to the book of Isaiah Isaiah chapter 6 here's another guy just like John just like Ezekiel caught up to the throne room of god look at verse one it says in the year that king uzziah died i saw also the lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple oh guys can you just imagine what he's seeing here Uh, above it stood the seraphim each one had six wings With twain, He covered His face. I mean, the the holy, angelic beings in heaven next to the holiness of God cover their face before Him. And with twain or two, He covered His feet and with twain He did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy! Holy! Holy is the Lord of hosts! The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved. You getting that? The posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. It's the same exact. Thing that John was saying. I, when I saw it, I fell at His feet as dead. It's just a different personality saying I was disintegrated in His presence. I saw the Lord in all of His glory and all of His holiness. And the, the first thing that I did was I saw myself. glorified Christ like this. Then said I, woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for mine eyes have seen the King the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me having a live coal in his hand which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar and he laid it upon my mouth and said lo, this hath touched thy lips. Okay, Remember, he just confessed his sin of being a man of unclean lips. And here is cleansing. The confession of sin and cleansing that is taking place in the presence of God. And thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged. So are you getting this? Here is Isaiah. He sees the holiness of God. And immediately he sees his sin and in desperation cries out for cleansing. The sin is purged. And then, and only then did he hear something. Verse 8, Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I. If you need someone to go, then send me. And folks, here we are in Laodicea. And the Lord... From his throne in glory, cries out and he calls and he calls. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And because we are so unacquainted with his absolute holiness, our lives are filled with filthiness. What James called in James one twenty one. The superfluity of naughtiness that keeps our ears from being able to receive the words of God. And while God is calling out in the Laodicean church period, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Laodiceans are smugly walking around saying, no, he ain't calling me. No, sir. I haven't heard him say anything to me. He hadn't asked me anything. And they can't hear him because they've got filth and uncleanness in their ears because they've got filth and uncleanness in their life. And I'm telling you this morning, in the Laodicean church period, the Lord Jesus Christ is still calling. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I'll just bet you if we confess our sins, we get rid of all of that filthiness and the superfluity of naughtiness that we just keep letting collect itself inside of us and inside of our hearing I will just bet you when that sin is purged I'll bet you we would hear it calling and I'll just bet you you get the sin out I bet you you'll be just like Isaiah. Here am I. Send me. Hey, if you need somebody to reach the heathen of this world, man, while there's still time, here am I. Man, send me. I'll go! And let me ask you, folks, if you don't, who will? Come on, you you know what we're we're up against in Laodicea. You know what? I'm telling you, y'all. I couldn't, and I love you for this. I couldn't couldn't preach this message today. I I don't think I could preach it in another church that I know of. I I think they'd be done. Who does this sucker think he is? Laodicea, man, I'm telling you. It's so filled with wickedness. And in these last days, y'all, I don't know who's going to listen to the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? man?" oh, I wish, oh, I wish, I wish you could hear Him say it. I, I've told you before, I, you know why I'm You know why I'm here? And not with the heathen. I believe beyond any shadow of a doubt God's calling on my life is to multiply my efforts by challenging you to go to the world. And some of you may have a hard time with that. I'm just telling you, I believe that's God's call on my life. I believe that's why He put us together. Do I think everybody... Do I think, really, do I think everybody ought to go? Not practically. But, oh, buddy, I think everybody ought to have to face hearing it from the Lord Himself. When He says, whom shall I send? who will go for us. I don't, hey, forget me. If you hear me say it, who cares? I'll be done in a minute. But when you, when you have heard it from the glorified risen. Please, please help us this morning. All filthiness and perfecting holiness and the fear of God. Would you do that in your for the little glimpse you've allowed us to be able to see of your holiness this morning. It has allowed us to see ourselves. And oh God, I'm I'm praying in my life for the lives of these dear people. I pray that we would cleanse ourselves this morning from all Continue to pray for just a moment. If you're here this morning and you never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, I-, I want you to know the sin that is in your life separates you from a holy God, and there is nothing that you can do about it. You you can't come up after the service to our baptistry. We can't put you in a pool of water and do anything about your sin. We can't go to any man. We can't go through any church. There's only one way that sin is dealt with, and it is through the blood of the person of Jesus Christ. And He loves you this morning. That's why He came to this planet and died, because you're a sinner and because God's holy. And there is a vast separation. And what God wants to do is allow the blood of Jesus Christ this morning to remove your sins, so that you can have a relationship with the Holy Lord God Almighty who wants to make you His son or His daughter. He wants to dwell in you. He wants to walk in you. He wants to fellowship with you because He loves you, even in all of your sin. And at the conclusion of our service this morning, there's a few things we're going to be doing here as we send this team out in just a moment. But at the conclusion of this service this morning, if you'd like to have your sin removed and come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, our pastors will remain at the front of this room. We are inviting you, and for Christ's sake and your sake, we're begging you to come and allow us to begin to answer your questions. or. Maybe even some of you are to the point where you'd like someone to take the Bible and show you how you can enter that personal relationship with Jesus Christ today. And Lord, I do pray for the lost. That in the midst of seeing your holiness this morning, that they would be confronted with their sin. And that this would be the glorious day of their salvation. Oh God, would you please save lost in this service while there is still time break our hearts for them in Jesus name